everyone. It's Daniel Elwood and Robert Johnson, the Last Nighters and the Last Nighters. Wish you a Merry Christmas and are also found on the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. Check it out at thelaunchpadmedia.com. Tonight, we're going to be doing It's a Wonderful Life on episode 103 of the show. You can find show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 103. And if you like what we do here, you can also hit us up on the old Patreon at lastnighters.com slash Patreon. Our guest is our pal Mike C, and he joined us for a little Jimmy Stewart flick called It's a Wonderful Life. We'll get into this one. And I have a sneaking suspicion, or at least I did, that Robert wasn't going to like this movie. But apparently, in pre-show bonus content, which is available for Peter's supporters, he let it slip. The cat's out of the bag. He actually does like this movie. So it might just be three guys agreeing with each other tonight. But, you know, maybe it'll work out. Maybe we'll see. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we will make sure to ring that bell several times to make sure that the wings get redistributed appropriately. So, Mike Z, welcome. You're a musician, a friend of the show. You've been on numerous times. We will have a full complement of your previous appearances at our show notes page, lastnighters.com slash 103. And your musical website is on SoundCloud, and it is called Mechanical Dream Revolution. And you've been putting in the hours, sir. The labor theory of value is serving you well, throwing in all that value. And uh, I don't know how much compensation you're getting for it, but I certainly appreciate the music that you're putting together. Uh, it's got a lot of narrative, a lot of story. And uh, it's 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 probably not for everybody, but I will post a link to it on the show, and I hope people do check it out because it's it's pretty good good stuff. Uh, welcome to the show. How you doing? Oh, what it is? Merry Christmas. Salutations. How's things? Things are good. Things are yeah, good. Right now, uh, yeah, yeah. It's not a bad night for it. Is there is there an easy way to find you on the SoundCloud? Do they just go to SoundCloud and put in Mechanical Dream Revolution? Yeah, I mean, ideally, I come up um, Mechanical Dream Revolution, all one word. Uh, if you got a link in the show notes, that helps. Um, and then slowly you get more traction as, as you get more views and stuff, right? Just like anything else. Yeah. And you know what um, I can do? I can put together a, a link from our show to directly to your SoundCloud profile page. That sounds great. Lastnighters.com slash Mike C. Or uh, I'll shoot you a link to the, the new album if you want. Album. I don't know if seven and a half hours is an album, but. It's a concept uh, album is what it is. Yeah. It's a season. Um, but yeah, uh, I'll shoot you a link to that. You guys can get it like a day early then because it's dropping on Saturday. Okay. Um, Sounds good. Uh, well, this, this show comes out um, Sunday and Monday, so it'll be up by then. So that'd be great. Awesome. So anyway, yeah. uh, well, <laughs> well, well, I got welcome. Uh, Robert is here. You are here, and we're going to be talking about "It's a Wonderful Life." Now, this was a, a suggestion by you, and I think, like I was mentioning earlier, that that you had you had brought up this potential episode in the hopes that Robert would dislike this movie, so that we would have a lot of banter and back and forth. Um, but as was revealed earlier. He loves it. I can't. I can't hate it. And I, can, I think I am actually genetically predisposed to like this. I don't yeah. know if you know this or not, Daniel, but my father. This is his favorite movie of all time. He's owned. I mean, the VHS tape, multiple DVD versions. I think he's got a Blu-ray version, which I don't even know if he has a Blu-ray player anymore. But he's gotten this as a gift, even though they show it on TV every year, every like all kinds of times, and he just absolutely loves it. This is one of the few movies that he doesn't fall asleep through. And so, yeah, I, I, I gotta say, I can see why he likes it so much. Um, I, this is the first time I've ever seen it all the way through. I've probably seen the very 30, the last 30 minutes, like 20 times. And so I thought I like, Hey, I know the story. I'm going to watch this movie and I'll won't be surprised at any time. And I don't say, I wouldn't say I was really surprised, but I went on the full ride for the first time. And what a ride, a movie this old still holds up. Well, 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 we will see now. Normally, we start off with a Google description, so why don't I get into that? And then we'll get Mike's reaction, and then yours. And then I'll run my mouth for a little bit. That's how we do it. That's how we do. All right, here we go. It's a Wonderful Life. It's a 1946 drama-slash-fantasy film, two hours and 15 minutes. 
originally shot black and white. It was originally presented in black and white. And that evil Ted Turner bought it, colorized it. And Jimmy Stewart went before Congress and was like, this is a bastardization of the original beautiful artistic sense of the film. So he was not down with the color. But it did get an 8.6 on the IMDb, 94% Rotten Tomatoes, 4 out of 4 by Roger Ebert. I guess he had four thumbs at the time. And 92% of Google users like it. The description is, George Bailey has so many problems. I want to say in a bitch ain't one. Uh, (laughs) uh, He is thinking about ending it all. And it's Christmas. As the angels discuss George, we see his life in flashback. As George is about to jump from a bridge, he ends up rescuing his guardian angel, Clarence, who then shows George what his town would have looked like if it hadn't been for all his good deeds over the years. It came out, uh, it says here, January 7th, 1947. In fact, copyright on the title screen is 1947, but I believe it was actually released in December um, in 1946. Director Frank Capra, and of course has um, our pal Jimmy Stewart in this one. So, uh, Mike, your reaction, sir, to the description? Yeah. That's pretty accurate, I think. Um, the I think the mythos is that Capra was blacklisted for this, but I don't know if that's true. I think he just was associated with some commies in Hollywood and probably got um, what's it called interrogated or whatever. Um, I yeah, it's pretty pretty solid. I mean, a fate worse than death is a, a you know his his wife becoming a spinster. Um, <laughs> I I think like this is a great film. We can nitpick it though. I think we can nitpick it. I think it might oh, that's fun. what we'll do. We will oh, nitpick. Yeah. It might be fun to pull in a few threads of like ridiculous plot contrivances and such, but um, no, it's it's pretty solid. I think um, Capra was a propagandist um, for America at one point, and I think that shines through in in how he presents these ideas because they're vague. They're vague. They're hard to argue with. A lot of them are very like feel good and and nice. And yeah, I kind of bawl my eyes out every time I watch this in a single sitting. So. <laughs> Wow, yeah, the cool. second half of this movie, I was just crying like a baby. Uh, oh, this movie does such, such a good job of connecting with the audience on an emotional level. It's what so many movies fail to do these days. Yeah. It's, it's no, incredible. He, he knocks it out of the park, I think, so whatever. Yeah, you know, in watching this again, and of course I've seen this bits and pieces here and there over the years. It's on TV constantly. Uh, but I haven't sat down and watched it through in, in probably 20 years and watching it the other night, I was like, wow, they're really spending a whole lot of this movie setting it up. Like going into it, I expected him to do the whole, you know, visited by three ghosts and go Christmas past pretty, you know, like halfway through, but no, it was like 80% of the way through the movie. Like the actual him seeing what life would be like without him was very brief. No, it, it, yeah. It's kind of inverted to a lot of um, modern plot structure and even what a movie would have looked like back then. I think. Yeah. No, it's all set up, almost all set up, and just the short little payoff at the end. But it's so it hits you so much harder with all that setup, and yeah. you're on board for the ride of who this guy is and what his life is like. That yeah, you uh, you're rooting for him the whole time. Yeah. Now, Robert, you're really good with with the narrative. So, what do you foresee in the setup? Like, why don't you run us through the kind of the story, and then what's the turn? What's the thing that puts him over the edge? Because that I think that's pretty key. Yeah. So it's the story of George, and George is a guy. He's got these big dreams, these these massive aspirations. He wants to travel the world and do all these things, but he keeps getting pulled back to Bedford Falls. And not that he actually ever leaves, but he's like every time he's about to leave, something happens that makes it so he's like, oh, my ordinal scale. I have to do this instead, instead of this other thing that I wanted to do. So he's just this guy that he's like this perennial, like good guy. He's always like self-sacrificing. He's pulling the town together when there's a bank run and he's, you know, saving 
you know, he's, he's, his whole goal in life is to like get, get homes built for his friends. And so he really sees himself as this kind of, I don't know if he sees himself as a self-sacrificing person, but that's what he ends up being in a way. But that's, that's what we're all doing with, you know, capitalism in a way. I mean, we're all just kind of serving each other and helping each other out. Um, but it's funny because then he sees this Potter guy as the enemy. Like he's this villain character. When he's basically doing the same thing, except he gets to call Potter's house's slums, whereas his house, what was it called? Like, what was it? What was the, what was his name of his little housing development? No, ba- Bailey Fields or something like that. Yeah, it's nice. They, he had yeah, a different approach a, to business, though, right? He had a better, better product, higher quality. Yeah, I mean, he had he had nicer homes, sure. But anyway, narratively, so George is this guy that never gets to do what he wants, but in the end, he realizes that what he wanted, he was doing all alone, and that he there's nowhere he'd rather be, and how wonderful his life. The real and treasure. It takes. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to actually mock it, and, and it's funny because I love the film so. No, it's it. It's How real, dare you, Mike? No, it's the real treasure or the friends we meet along the way or something like that, right? No, yeah. um, a man is never poor if he's got friends, right? So Right, a man um, is that's not a happy, failure but it's if true. he has friends. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah. this is great. This is a great movie. It's hard to get my head around it because they, they're both kind of wrong and they're both right. Like, um, they had a different, uh, the savings and loan had a different approach to their clients. They were a bit more hands-on, a little less rigid with their payment structure like if somebody missed a payment or something they wouldn't immediately foreclose on them and stuff there's a little less rigidity in their their relationship so there's there's a uh, a factor in that that you might decide to go to as opposed to a more you know safe or, or rigid bank that you're maybe going to get more money out of uh, or you know interest out of or whatever that might serve you a different a different kind of product essentially right so it's good to have two competing uh businesses in that marketplace for for savings and loan, right? Now, so. my my question is, if the Baileys had a lower cost, higher quality product, then why were they not winning in the marketplace? Why were they always seemingly on the verge of of collapse and and not having customers? Why were people even in the Potter slums and and going to Potter if he was charging more for an inferior product? Did they have really lax payback structures, like just letting all these loans out there and not getting in paid payments on them? Well, they were they were very relaxed in if somebody said that they didn't have the money at the time that they were like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, pay us when you can, that kind of a thing. And they made several references to only having very little money. Yeah. So they were they were cash poor as a business, as a savings and loan. So they were kind of leveraged to the tits. I don't think they could get too much more. Right. So he that particular savings and loan worked for whatever, 20, you know, 10 years to be able to get uh, just a development company going. Right. Just to get a just to get those houses going, right? Whereas um, Potter had a vertically integrated, you know, conglomerate. So yeah. he's providing a different, you know, a different service. So he can he can kind of uh, infect the marketplace a little bit differently, you know, with a bit more, he can bully bully the competition a little bit, I think is what they're implying. Well, was Potter... I don't want to say monopoly, but... Was he just renting out properties or was he selling them as well? I think he's probably a slumlord is how they sort of portrayed him, right? So he's probably just renting things out, which is, again, yeah... It's ex- it's exploitative to an extent, right? If you if you rent, you know, your whole life, you kind of start going, oh, you know, why am I paying somebody else's mortgage? Obviously, like that's kind of a misnomer because there's a lot of benefits to renting. Yeah, I agree. Like, yeah, a lack of liability for one, right? So the ability you don't get into that too much, but you get the impression that I don't know. It's like you guys have Tim Hortons down there now. No, but I, oh. I'm familiar. 
Well, I'm just thinking I wanted to compare Starbucks and Tim Hortons because they're very similar structures. And one of them is a bit more uh, bare bones and cheaper and a little bit like just starker as a product. And the other one, the Starbucks is a bit more comfortable. And they're both like these terrible coffee fucking companies that have just infected everything in the marketplace right um and so you can choose and there's you know especially here up here you get you know there's the tim hortons people and the starbucks people and they kind of have their little factions and they sort of wear it on their sleeve a bit and so you you know you choose whether or not you want a bit of comfort for a higher price or if you want a more utilitarian model so i'm I'm kind of glad that they both exist yeah, and anything in between or, or even below or above. Yeah, and then there's the proprietorship where there's like some middle-aged woman that doesn't pay attention to you because she's busy talking to her friends from the neighborhood instead of running her business properly. That, that's my problem. Maybe I shouldn't be sharing that. With like the local shops? Yeah, I just, I'm just i like, oh, this is why Starbucks has dominated the planet because people that own fucking little businesses are like you. <laughs> just, it's like, can I get Yeah, they're food? in it for something else. Yeah, yeah. There's, it's yeah. It's kind of just like a little public house and whatever. If they lack ambition, then maybe that's what I've been bitching about my whole life anyway. So maybe that's good. People are slowing down a little bit. <sighs> now, so. yeah. One of, one of the things that's brought up in the description is how when George doesn't exist at all, has have, having never been born, the town is far racier. Like there's girls and live shows and yeah. casinos. Much and more stuff. entertaining. Yeah, much more interesting landscape. <laughs> well, not just that, and that that's indicative of something very interesting, though, isn't it? That I think they tried to show that it was racier and like like the moral decay under yeah. Potter, but what it really showed to me was how much wealth there was. I mean, all this entertainment existed. It must be being funded by people with a lot of spare cash to throw around. So yeah. there are people that have a lot of money to spend on entertainment. Yeah. So the, the town is demonstrably richer. Yeah. So what's uh you know he I think I think Potter gets a bad rap. I mean, unless Capra was just failed at i mean he's just trying to show the moral decay and not the financial decay yeah like the the universe's rules don't make a ton of sense they're a bit like i don't know harry potter or something where magic just kind of fills in the gaps where you want like they don't to say that it would go in that direction i mean it's possible but like you said you need money to spend on entertainment so but yeah you gotta have a lot of disposable cash a lot of disposable income to go go see the nude live dancing girls and the the billiard halls and the dancing halls and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, presumably people are less settled. So they're less invested in their community. They're having less kids, which are very cost ineffective um, products. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, they're quite the liability. So yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that the the town at a fundamental level, I guess we get down to it. It's basically people are not following like a natural path and like having kids and families and doing all those things, which are not going to produce the excess wealth to, to you know, invest in frivolous strip clubs and gambling and pool halls and such. So I yeah, guess that yeah. would be the takeaway. That was more eating the capital on frivolous things. Yeah. Not necessarily that they had more capital, but they weren't investing it more wisely than they otherwise would have yeah. because of the moral rot. So in that in that sense, Bailey becomes a, a beacon of that model of investing in your community. Right. He's a he's a leader of that kind of thought process, showing people a good example. So. Okay, I can I can kind of buy this argument. So so they may have more demonstrated spending on frivol- frivialities. Yeah. But it may not it may be at the expense of more yeah. uh, stable capital investment type. Yeah, cuz ev- everything George Bailey does in the movie is invest in people over and over, right? He he suffers to basically put down or put 
payments into people to keep them going. And then eventually they, that's why it kind of gets called socialist in a way. Right. Right. But that's well, that's like my, that's, yeah. I mean, I was just saying, is, is, is this an argument saying that socialism breeds humanity and morality? I think, I think capitalism I think, breeds debauchery and despair. Well, the, the, the people analyzing the film say that I don't think the film does. I think the film is more abstract than the politics that we sort of get bogged or the economics that we get bogged down in. Because right. like, he says, like, basically, the movie says you should invest in your community and you shouldn't, you know, like like Scrooge. It's very similar to the Christmas Carol in the sense that, like, you should have some allowance in your thought process to see the value of the people around you and investing in your community and painting fences and fixing up old houses and stuff instead of just buying new and and, you know, spending all your money at a billiards club or, you know, and, and using, you know, using your neighbor uh, through like a financial system to the point of like breaking them down isn't isn't the best investment the best investment is to create a job opportunity for them and you know i mean unless it's so you're saying that this is capital a version of capitalism done right versus a capitalism done wrong is that you're saying yeah it's like it's like a it's a version of america that people are nostalgic for in a lot of ways right yeah and and i can see the other perspective of this being the um caricature of what people think of socialism as is people sharing and being nice but that's actually capital voluntarily right that's actually a capitalistic thing. That's people choosing to invest in, in or spend their money in certain ways that are more beneficial to others. That's not socialism. That is actual sharing. That is actual benevolence. Yeah. So I and think, sorry. What Bailey was actually doing, even though he was sort of poorly running a business, but he was providing, it seemed to be a bridge between people who could barely afford um, living in the slums of Potterville or Potterville. Yeah. Uh, he was extending them rungs on a ladder to which to aspire to. So they would have a goal to save a certain amount of capital on their own in order to qualify for one of these loans from the Baileys to be able to get into a home of their own and get out of yeah. these slums uh, that Potter was running. So if anything, he was kind of that he was he was bringing those two worlds together. He was offering them the ability to climb out of a hole uh, so as long as they were actually working towards it like they had to have a certain amount of capital they had to save a certain amount of money like they showed it with martini right when he got a house and they had a business yeah and the ba baileys made a big deal about christening the house and saying some nice words you know here's bread so that this house never knows hunger and all that stuff that was cool by the way i thought that'd be cool if people still did that today yeah kind of this like blessing the house like or had rituals and like, like parties a, and a nice talk to each other yeah reason to talk to neighbors <laughs> <person> and stuff. <laughs> got together Instead of just uh, all existing in like a bubble of entertainment. And well, I mean, we're phoning each other because we're in different places. But um, like a game of chess face to face with another guy is a pretty like specific experience. And you can't really do it online or looking at books or. Yeah, no, there's a we're, we're lacking ritual and celebration and we don't build our culture from the ground up, which is, you know, you can that's personified, not personified. That's manifested in the film is basically like like coming back to Pottersville where everything the entertainment industry is always so so lucrative because our culture lacks um uh community so and and it's beneficial beneficial not like a governmental level but even for the larger companies right like like coca-cola is going to sell more coke to people if they're lacking community because it's poison and you really are only going to want so much of it unless you get feeling down is that right, much sense? like heroin yeah like it's very much like heroin except you know it's way more legal and not quite as bad for you. 
Right. And then also to go along with this, you know, the Pottersville version when Bailey doesn't ever exist, it's sort of like the rough parts of like Seattle or Vancouver, like East Hastings Street in Vancouver or where um, what formerly First Avenue was in Seattle, where um, what was it called? The Lusty Lady, where they were like peep shows and all this stuff. You gotta ask me like I know. Well, because you and I, we've been to Seattle a number of times and I think it's gone now. But I just remember back, you know, 20 some odd years ago that that part of town just south of Pike Place Market was a little bit seedy. And it had yeah, a lot of yeah, similar, that's what the lusty lady was. Yeah, and it had a lot of similar things to the Pottersville scenario. And so I wouldn't say that that was a demonstration of wealth. I mean, it was a it was demonstration of frivolous spending. Yeah. But it's it reminds me more of because they don't have anything else that they would prefer to spend their money on. Like like in the Great Depression, which by the way, in this movie they barely mention it. Um, I thought it'd play a bigger role um, because it, this period of time was 1928 through 19. 40-ish, right, in yeah. the movie? But I don't know, I think the war is over by the time. Well, he graduates in 1928. or his Yeah, but no, but his brother comes back from the war, so it's probably like 1946 by the... It's probably the year of the film's making by the end yeah. of the yeah. I'm assuming. But um, I'll just close up my point. Um, during the Great Depression, movie houses and other frivialities were a distraction or a diversion from the pains of everyday life because everyday life was so much worse that those things actually didn't suffer as much. Like people spent their money on those things because they didn't have other better things to spend the money on. You know what I mean? Like I'm sort of like stumbling over this. Yeah, it's a, it's an addic- it's um it's an addictive response. It's the response of an addict at a societal level. Right, to get a to get a break or a relief, a respite. It's like, "Oh, I'm I'm stressed, I'm going to have a drink," right? So Right, I'm but isn't stressed. this all a little ridiculous to blame like the decay of a society on one guy? Like it's all this. Yeah, no, that is, the that fact is that George ridiculous. Bailey wasn't around to save us. We well, didn't have our Jesus character to come along and show us the right way. And all we got <laughs> left is like this evil Darth Vader character who's going to offer ontology? us rent. What housing. is the, There's a philosophical concept, right? Because like, okay, so his brother dies because he wasn't there to save him because presumably only Bailey could have saved him or it only would have happened that way. That's an interesting idea. And we have to take it for granted because the film is has decided that for its universe so we have right, to adhere to those rules so right right uh, if no, anybody's I, the villain okay in this, with that if anybody's the villain in this movie it's uncle billy <laughs> like i don't for even think misplacing Potter. the eight grand yeah. i mean you shouldn't you should give back eight thousand dollars from the community if somebody misplaced it because it's technically not yours it's not there's not like a finders keepers thing losers weavers that. policy yeah, like I don't, I don't know if that. Well, where are you guys on the finders, keepers, losers, weepers for the NAP? How does that, how does that fit into libertarianism? Well, I think Potter was really the villain right there. That was his yeah. key villain point. Was when yeah. Uncle Uncle Billy actually accidentally gave him the money, and Potter realized whose it was and saw Billy, you know, frantically searching for it. And I didn't understand this. Maybe you guys can explain it. But with the bank examiner, it made it seem like if they were short that money, they were going to go to jail for embezzling or, or stealing the money or something like that. It seemed like that the, the, the risk versus the reward was really off kilter. Like for what? For employing your uncle? Cause he's an idiot that shouldn't have a job. Right. But, but Bailey was going to go to prison because of this. George was, because it was, well, yeah, it was probably right? seen as like, yeah, taking embezzling other people's money. Right. Yeah. Cause they take the, those loans, the money on good faith. Right. Yeah, like if eight thousand dollars goes missing, you don't just go like, "Oh, I I don't know where it is." <laughs> oh well, right? And then like, well, okay, well, you've stolen from me. Then is the only explanation if you can't give me a better story than that. Right, but Potter knew this that 
he knew that that it would mean prison time for the Baileys. So he yeah, was weaponizing the state. Sure, he was absolutely. He was looking yeah. for leverage the whole movie to try and break down these Bailey yeah, he didn't boys. Keep, and yeah, he's absolutely. He he's absolutely the villain Bailey. there, but he's not the villain before that. He's not responsible for the decay of Bedford Falls. No, he was a dick though. Yeah, he wasn't a nice he guy. Was, he was antagonistic, like, and he used some very aggressive business tactics that have no place in a town that small. I don't know what that means, but well, you're, he, he, in okay, defense so of Ebenezer Scrooge. When we defended Scrooge in A Christmas Carol, yeah. I'll defend Potter in this yeah. movie, too. Well, I, you're, I mean, you're right. They're, and they're both kind of wrong. I'm just saying that when there's a run on the bank and then the only cooperative credit union in town that competes with you, you're offering to buy their shares for 50 cents in the dollar because you can just eat the cost to destroy your competition is a shitty way to interact with your community. You shouldn't, you shouldn't try to run your neighbor out of business. You shouldn't make an offer? Uh... I think you should compete. That just seems aggressive, right? It's just dirty pool. To I mean, make yeah, an offer, wanted, they don't have to take it. Yeah, they didn't have to take it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's it. He had to convince, and then George had to convince everybody, like, hey, this is, it's not worth doing that. But he did have to. Potter, and in he the marketplace, no, Potter right. only has power insofar as much as he satisfies consumer demand. No, People absolutely. prefer Potter in the way he does business and the products he provides. Yeah. No, and you're so right. That's how I'm he just saying he's wealth. an asshole. I'm just that's saying that's how he has a... wealth, Michael. <sighs> he didn't steal it. The movie implies that he steals the town or whatever. No, no, that's well, what George no, Bailey. George says. Bailey says that because he bought things for a song and dance because he had a lot of capital uh, sort of hoarded away for when the market collapsed. And like we we can go meta on that and talk about how like that was engineered or whatever or, or exacerbated by the government. But uh, yeah, I'm just saying he's an asshole. I'm not going to defend that he's not an asshole. I'm not going to say he's not an asshole. But I'm not going to say that and he pays the dick price in this movie. Nobody likes him. How many friends does he have? No, and he's if he had had the yeah, same kind of problems that, that George Bailey right. had, how many people would have come to his aid and go, oh, Potter, here, take some money? No, and he's going to die alone and, and all that, right? And so that's right. the entire point of the show. And you're right. Like, he's not the bad guy until he he aggresses in, in a way that's, like, kind of truly evil. But he, he was very aggressive with his his trying to acquire the savings and loan like he was antagonistic and i don't know i just yeah like obviously it's legal and it doesn't breach the nap or anything like that but i certainly don't condone that kind of behavior right and he couldn't defeat them without conniving and, and going yeah and that's the thing he didn't want to compete fairly and that's what pisses me off about him and he had like it's he like, competed fairly for like 30 years or however long that place was in business it was only until he saw an opportunity when the guy gave him eight grand, no, no, he's, he's like, like oh, okay. He goes in and shows up to the board of trustees when uh, George's father died and tries to to get the savings and loan disbanded. He uses like rhetoric to try to change the course of the business. He That's doesn't how just people use words. Yeah, he did. Well, I'm just saying he didn't just quietly sit and provide a better product. He was aggressive and he was uh, political. So, and I don't know, like I don't know what kind of you know. Somebody like that, I'm pretty sure, would be, you know, uh, doing stuff with the police and the politicians in that town as well. And, you know. Oh, yeah. He'd be some sort of boss hog character, probably. Yeah, he's a dick. Some kind of Tammany Hall, dude. And, I mean, yeah, like, he's, you know, it's like the, oh, I'm not touching you. And you got your finger, like, two inches from somebody's face. And I'm like, yeah, okay, you're not touching me, but you are certainly upsetting me on purpose. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. That sounds a lot like what happens in my household with the two of I got, it. but yeah, no, I think Uncle Billy was the fucking the villain of this film. Yeah, you know when when they said that uh, when Bailey wished that he didn't exist, they said Uncle Billy was uh, put into an insane asylum. Yes, sweet. There's, you know what? Get him. 
no, that's too far. He's certainly like if there's one. I thought you guys would have had that criticism because, uh, like after this event of him losing the eight thousand dollars because he ties strings to his fingers instead of writing things down, uh, I, I would hope that he retired after that, or the, and that George filled that position with somebody with that was worthy of it and ha- could be accountable and take on that responsibility, because. Like Potter's right about a thrifty working class and and not bailing people out of every situation. Like you do have to be very careful with uh, tolerating like failure and and letting people slide on their payments and things like that. Like you do have to run a business. Are you are you against Yang's plan for a thousand dollars per month for every American? I don't. I'd have to see it. I'm not against the idea of a negative tax. I'd have to. I don't know anything about it. All I know is he's promising. He's bribing you with your own money. Yeah. Well, yeah. He's he's bribing some people with other people's money, and that's what taxes do. So, if it's a simplified version of that redistribution, it might be more efficient. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'd have to see. I I like the idea of a universal basic income in place of every other social program. But that's never going to be the case. They're never going to take away the other social welfare shit. But as an abstract, just add it to the pile. I don't write it off entirely. I think that maybe. Maybe some bare bones uh, infrastructure, social infrastructure might be a good idea to transition us away from this because a lot of people have been trained to not take care of themselves or be accountable or and to call the police so they can show up and shrug three hours after you've been assaulted. You know, like they don't nobody's really taught these things. So we need a few generations to kind of get things to where where we want them. Right. That's, that's on our ideally. Yes. But that sounds like a whole lot of. Uh, I'm, I'm, assuming, I'm assuming is it yang is that his name yeah yang, yang yeah. yeah yeah i'm i'm assuming that it's absolute lunacy just off the cuff but i haven't done any research so i can't i can't uh ethically it's a terrible idea it's, it's, terrible it's idea. it is lunacy well, i don't have to see it i don't know free education but, for everyone <laughs> well on the on a free, speaking of free education i'm gonna throw a little free education out for people uh lastnight.com says 103 i'll have a rothbard lecture on money and banking where he talks about bank runs being one check against uh, banks overextending themselves. And I'll also have a clip that I've actually made a cartoon version of Rothbard talking about uh, the benevolent angel Gabriel giving everyone a thousand dollars. He's like, <laughs> awesome. Overnight, you know, magically or magically doubling everybody's bank accounts. What do you expect happens? The price of everything goes up by double. So everyone's no better off than they were. Unless there's a uh, time difference on who gets the money and when, which is like how the Federal Reserve works. It's the first receivers of the money who get the money before it impacts the inflationary aspects. And so they get to spend the money at today's price. But as the money finally makes its way through the rest of the economy, it starts to affect the raise of price and the, the the late receivers lose out. Okay, how about this? You get a C can for free. It's got a bicycle in it. And you have to bicycle that uh bicycle for four hours a day and that generates a bit of electricity and in exchange for that the that labor you get um some food uh, squares some soil and green on tuesdays uh and you get a sea can that's made out of stainless steel and you've got like a you know a stainless steel bed with no clothes like that gets sprayed out every day by a robot is that mike see that work right <laughs> like we're all gerbils running on the wheel yeah like and then and they'd be get, they'd be forced you know they'd be forced to give back the labor that they're taking from the system by powering the bicycle, like in that episode of Black Mirror. <laughs> that sounds like the best use of everyone's time. Yeah. Plus, you'd get a huge stimulus from all the bicycle building. Oh, yeah. All the stationary bikes we'd have to build, mm. right? And, uh, oh, and then the yeah, government the could give some, some uh, contracts to their friends that own factories that build stationary bikes. Think There's all the sorts equality. of benefits to this. So much equality. It's just dripping oh. with equality. 
Um, speaking of banks, though, uh, I hate them. Um, but uh, cooperatives structures, like, have you guys talked about that a lot on the show? Like how a co-op works and how it's different than a corporate structure? Are you guys for or against? The, you can like, have a voluntary co-op. I don't care. Work, but they they rarely outcompete traditional businesses. But that's probably due to you know cronyism and protectionism. That happens. that's what I mean is I think that like like how hard is it for a credit union to get uh like you know a charter right? They don't get to give out student loans. Only only certain banks do right? That you know kiss the ring. So I don't know. I feel like they I feel like that's a very good solution to the uh what people call the the ills of capitalism like you know co co you know with their fucking union killing and and walmart and destroying you know neighbor uh, communities and stuff like that and amazon and google owning everything <laughs> you know like cooperative structures tend to have uh a lot of benefits in terms of like what people are looking for in a in a large organizational structure with yeah. some built-in checks to its rapid expansion and and expanding to collapse because i mean capitalism does thrive on chaos in a lot of ways right like right it does. there's so many there's so many distortions you know and and it's yeah. hard to know what the proximate cause of anything is and, and you can't really view these things in a vacuum no, so no until we make it to a fully free society then we'd see which kind of structure would win out well it's um, why like anarchy and voluntarism is or libertarianism is like right because capitalism was coined by marx i think i said that the first time i was on the show like it's 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 a slur. Yeah, it's a sl- it, The whole the whole point is to like uh, poison the well of the conversation. Like you can't even have a conversation about it because, like, okay, so George Bailey, he's a capitalist though, and so is um, Potter. They're both. Everyone capitalists. in the movie is. Yeah, like they're you know he, he's a volunteer, not for profit, whatever they do. Yeah, he was just a great, like he was just better, and he was better at business than his father. His father, I think, wasn't very good at running it, and maybe he was being interfered with by Potter. But I, I think George was a much better businessman. I mean, aside from the plot device of having his uncle work there and be a total liability to this business model, which is ultimately like the deepest flaw in the film because everything revolves around this. And he's not like to the point of, of Potter, like you need to have consequences. So like, you know, calling calling loans and, and charging entrance is that consequence, but. They take it too far on the one side, and then the other side doesn't have any fucking <laughs> responsibility. <laughs> All right, there's a couple of things I wanted to get to before we have to wind down, and one of them is let's talk about Clarence and the depiction of angels and, and them uh, violating the Prime Directive and directly interfering with life on Earth. And then also, <laughs> I wanted to talk about what's her name, Violet, and what was her <laughs> what was her role in this movie? What was the point of her to warn us? Is she, is she the girl in the red dress in the matrix yeah yeah no yeah she's just i don't know i don't know what this, she is uh i don't know she feels like a cautionary tale uh i think okay she's she's a bit wayward right so she needed the um she was rudderless and a bit like i mean they implied that she's not looking to put her roots down in any kind of way which is a natural thing um and so she needed the guidance of of bailey to structure her life right she seemed she's, a bit of a floozy and she got around yeah, uh, but she seemed to desire Bailey, and she would drop the other guys that were she was mm-hmm. engaged with at, at the drop of a hat. Yeah, multiple times. If uh, if Bailey would expo- you know, give any interest in her direction. So was this oh, a, yeah. a case of unrequited love, similar to what um, the Donna Reed character also had with him, but he actually reciprocated with her? Hmm. I because don't know. She whispered in his bad ear that when she was a child. Or, you know, at the soda shop or the pharmacy or whatever, that she was going to marry George Bailey. 
and he didn't hear her because his ear was non-functional. Right, right. right. I mean, well, I would say that they both had designs on him ever since they were children. Yeah, but and she, but she says to to Violet, like you like every boy, and she goes, "What's wrong with that?" <laughs> that whole scene's hilarious, man. That guy's got some game. I wrote down, "Hey, brainless, you, don't you know where coconuts come from?" That is some like <laughs> top tier uh, pickup artist negging. Yeah, yeah. Like, that, is, like, that guy is like he's like with ten, and he's just like just banging it out, just killing it. Yeah, and there were other moments later on, like throughout the film, where. Bailey was demonstrating, I think, some behavior that would probably get you imprisoned today. Like he was violently shaking Donna Reed and then forcefully kissing her. Um, and yeah, how do you how do you court women? I don't know. I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you just shake them, shake them till yeah. the well, did, Didn't you see airplane? Mm-hmm. That's how you calm down? Pick up artist one hundred and one right there. Yeah, just give them a shake. See if they try to run away or not. Um, oh, you know what? Though that's a touching scene, so don't don't even say anything about it. It's you're right. Though, there's no way they would. Not no movie could be made now. They would do that. Yeah, movies that were made ten years ago can't be made now. Robert Downey Jr. blackfaced in Top, Tropic Thunder. Very well, I might add. Yeah, no, it's knocked out of the park, man. <laughs> um, so, so I, I wanted to bring up uh, the um, the maid, the the house maid that they had, the Bailey's had, the black, oh, yeah. black woman, sassy. And uh, what was it? Harry was the the brother. And he slapped her on the ass. Now, there was a recent, um, uh, like a marathon or fun run or whatever, and some reporter on the sideline was reporting from the event. And some guy ran by and slapped her on the ass and then kept going. And she oh, well played. She claimed it was a sexual assault and he stole her power. And Well, it was an assault. I don't know if we need an adjective attached to it. It's just an assault. But yeah. I don't know, man. He, it's- he hit somebody and apparently they didn't want him to. And she has every right to. You're right. It sucks, but it's a breach of but the in terms of proportionality. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't yeah. like a I'm trying to harm you, you know, physically kind of assault. I don't know. And, no, and but it's, it's like not you're not allowed to touch people that don't want to be touched, and it sucks that we don't have that. Like we have, I don't know. Maybe there's just too many people in, yeah. this, in too small of an area. Well, Dave, Dave Smith talked about it on the part of the problem his his podcast, and I was a little surprised at his response because he's like, "Yeah, you can't do that. You can't." And uh, well. I mean, part of me wants to disagree a little. Part of me wants well, to. You can't do it. People have. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't. Would be a better way to phrase it. If I want yeah. to get semantical, but. Well, you know, like uh, 20, 30 years ago, it seemed to be like a, I don't know, socially, somewhat socially acceptable, somewhat acceptable thing, and now it, now it's not. I guess you know, it's present year or whatever. Yeah, well, a bunch of assholes at fucking M or uh, what is it, uh, music festivals ruined it just by being just too aggressive for too long, asking girls. If they want to dance and being all handsy and all the awesome dudes have to adhere to a stricter code because well maybe it's more maybe more chivalrous maybe more gentlemanly so yeah 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 yeah, yeah. No, I, like, culture a little. no i know what you mean um it's but it's a mo- like it's a movie right so they they can settle that between each other like he slaps her on the ass and um you slap a reporter on the ass she has every right to complain to have you, you know, executed publicly, I guess, is <laughs> probably what the response was called for. Yeah. Now, what was the other thing I said I want to talk about? Oh, the angels and depiction thereof. So um, my wife and I, we have been watching Ancient Aliens and then also <laughs> the, <laughs> the, Fuck yeah. the Pyramid Code. And it's got me all hot, hot to trot to watch Stargate because it's all. Oh, like the original movie or the series? Yeah, oh, that movie's great, man. And we'll have you on for that. In, in a couple of weeks or a couple of months or whatever, I, I'm all I'm all hot for it. But um, 
yeah, watching Ancient Aliens, and there's a crazy guy. I've seen him in like a hundred memes. He's got the wild hair and whatever. Hair. I'm not oh, saying yeah. it's aliens, but it's aliens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he's like an executive producer of this thing. He's very prominently in this series. It's <laughs> on Netflix. But basically, they're saying that all of these ancient cultures across the, the the Earth, even though they were separated by thousands of miles, they all had some very similar things uh, in their history or in in their you know hieroglyphics or in their you know ancient like just deciphering or their stories or whatever and they're basically making the argument that what we now know of as as religion is really just a retelling of aliens visiting the earth and imparting this uh technical knowledge so that these ancient structures could have even been built because a lot of them uh we would struggle to create even with modern day engineering and technology and all these things and it just kind of i don't know it's it's kind of compelling and kind of interesting um but to see a very similar aspect, I felt in um, this movie, where they, you know, the, the very opening scene is we're going out into space and these galaxies are talking to each other and they're okay. angels. I was waiting for the connection to this film. There it is. There it is. There it is. <laughs> right. Clarence is an alien. Yeah, and then the little the light comes over. Eh? The star comes over when Clarence comes over, and then he's flashing like he he literally travels across the screen to right. And and he, he had been. Uh, a, a living human like 250 years prior because he said he's like 239 years old or whatever yeah. so and, and that's kind of part of this ancient aliens thing is that or maybe it's the, the uh, pyramid code that that they say that that this life on earth is sort of like a, a training ground for we are in a bit of a metamorphic state Ooh. and when we die our essence or our our you know spirit or whatever goes back into space and so oh, I mean, it's a bit depicted in this movie. So it's kind of interesting. Bible I, is an acronym for basic instructions before leaving Earth. <laughs> <laughs> I recall that song. Uh, who who was that? Uh, guru? No, no, it wasn't Guru. Yeah, it might have been Guru actually. Well, I'll find it. He's Wu Tang. It's definitely Wu Tang. But anyway, um, before before that little side tangent, I'm gonna go to Robert. Oh, genius, Jizza. It was Jizza. Okay, so, so Robert, you want me to follow that nonsense you were just spouting? What? Yes, follow the nonsense because you've got all, all sorts of this. Um, and we've talked in the past about you going to this island and the chakras and all that stuff. And then you've got some takes on religion and things like that. And then we're going to have to wind this down because we're we're approaching. How, our, I know like, how did here. we get here? Okay, well, like this is a traditional Mike C conversation. You start in one place and you get I didn't in a do it this time. Place and nobody knows how we got there. I didn't do this. We should be talking about international banking if I'm the one going down rabbit holes. Maybe. I didn't start the pyramid shit, man. <laughs> well, I think the most interesting thing that came out of Ancient Aliens, since that's what we're here to talk about, <laughs> is, is the fact that all like kings throughout time have all claimed some sort of ancestorship from the gods because that's the divine right to rule over others. Because it can't just be, hey, I'm making this shit up and you got to do what I say. It's that, hey... I got a direct line to, you know, the guy up above and he's telling me what to do. So if you have a problem with it, take it up with that guy, not me. So it's all, it's all a big scam to not, you know, actually get killed. I would certainly say that religion and government are closely related at a sort of metaphysical level. Like one is a, one is an iteration of like what the best kind of person you could be is, you know, like the rules of society are, are kind of the early versions of religion. And then we, we aspire up to like the Christian figures where you're like, this is how you should act kind of thing. So the Buddha and Christ are very, very similar in that sense, but sort of inverted. Um, and I would and say then, it's an offshoot of religion and it has become a religion again. Yeah. 
It is. It never stopped being religion, but it's uh, it's the it's the rule part of religion without. And actually, there are a lot of messiahs in there, right? We have like JFK uh, and uh, like Trump, very messiah-like figures. Savior that are, figures, in yeah. The, yeah, savior figures in the zeitgeist. Like you know, whether or not you you know, like Obama was very similar, right? So Obama and Trump are very similar figures in that the people elected him to save them, to give them a new era. So right. Oh shit! Sure, I should took my stuff because it's all about kings. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Your uh, your new seven hour concept album has a entire hour long track devoted to kings, and you've got a you've got a butt rock track that has Lord of the Rings mashup. Uh, you've got it's it's really good. It's quite interesting. So, Mechanical Dream Revolution. We'll have a link to that on the uh, show notes page, of course. Yeah, it's just like um, I get into the democracies, right? Because like democracy is really just a way for the ruling class to insulate itself against accountability and responsibility for its actions. Right. Like, yeah. There was a, sorry to cut you off. There was a question in um, the Tom Woods group recently. Like, there's this Churchill quote, you know, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the other ones that have been tried from time to time. In Churchill. And the guy, the guy posing the quote said, um, you know, what do you think would be better? And I said, Somali warlords. And I literally mean it because democracy yeah. gives this cover sure. milieu of you are actually a participant in this thing and you have a say and it, it quells uh, any real significant steam valve massive steam valve right and worse things can occur under this because if if you knew that you had a somali warlord over you know bearing over you you know what to resist and who to resist and and you could work towards fighting. yeah if you have to like there are a lot of kinks throughout history and like i mean sort of to counter robert's point there are a lot of kings in history that were revered that didn't necessarily need to call themselves God um, because they were simply good leaders. And we elect our leaders in, in that sense through um, a much more sort of organic and natural process of simply allowing the strongest and best leader to be in charge right. when and we're in crisis. And then they just provide the most amount of liberty. And then the, the tyrant kings don't last that long. A lot of A lot of tyrants end up with like their sort of the lords beneath them revolting and and imposing a lot of limitations on their power right so they gotta right and what is the magna carta my point is you know the somali warlord at least they're honest yeah yeah and you can just kill the one guy then (laughs) if you have to and then i mean there's power vacuum for a bit but eventually it would settle down yeah democracy's uh i'm not a huge fan of it anymore uh it's exalted as this like really high ideal but yeah um, the movie did get into the war effort Briefly, I thought you guys would jump on that. I honestly yeah, thought you guys would hate this movie. It. I thought you hate, would hate this movie. I'm going to hate the movie because of the glorification of the war and the. Well, the I guess the, you can't avoid it. No, I, just thought George be, dr- has. I thought I'd be apologizing for the movie. To be honest, I honestly thought I'd have to defend it, but like, because it's a great film, but it's it's got a bunch of like I don't know pseudo quasi socialist concepts in it, but they're not right. You can paint it socialist if you wanted. If you're like some you weird, could. Oh, yeah. I think you could. It's both. It's 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 capitalist and socialist. It's people just it's it's one man choosing to behave in a way that is better than most people. And the benefits of that are priceless. Right. So. It's one man having different value scale than others. He valued people and those relationships that he built other than the other things that he wanted to do, like travel the world and whatever. Yeah, and I really enjoyed the fact that his um his betrothed, his his newlywed wife because events happened and they couldn't go on their honeymoon, she actually went and decorated this house to be exotic as if they were on their honeymoon and traveling somewhere. And I thought that yeah, was she's a good woman. Pretty stellar move on her part. Yeah. And, and she's yeah. the one that first offers up the two grand to save the building alone. 
the bit. And she the fixed up the day. house. She was a hard worker. She fixed up the house every day. And that's the thing is investing, investing in your home, investing in your neighborhood, investing in your city and moving, moving that investment out slowly as opposed to funneling all of our resources up to the government, to Hollywood, to these massive corporations. I mean, they're detrimental to our communities, right? So I think that's the lesson that I take from it. And then like, it's only by virtue of him having uh, an idiot lose $8,000 like that, that there's even a conflict at the end because I think that, that things were finally like settling and he was finally gaining traction in the marketplace and things were finally working out for that business. You know what I mean? Because I think yeah, yeah, yeah. they were settled and, they, and that's why it hits him so hard is because this fucking, this thing happens at a time where he's like, okay, I can finally start just getting into a rhythm and living my life and I don't have to like worry every day about going bankrupt. And then this happens and he's like, I'm going to jail now for all of my giving giving up everything I wanted to help this community and help people and they fucked me. You know what I mean? And then it turns out, in fact, all they had to say is George Bailey was in trouble and they started handing out money. They just passed right. it around and got him settled like in four hours. I don't know. That's very touching, right? Right. Yeah. And I thought oh, that, was, huge. that was really nice. And I, I take it that's why you guys both were wailing like little babies at the end here. I was wailing like a baby throughout, like the entire second half of the movie. Yeah. Oh, wow. There's all kinds of moments. That, oh, because like, she didn't have kids, right? For yeah. like, became a spinster. <gasps> like after his brother's death, <laughs> he finds out the even worse thing. That the woman he loved became a spinster, which is apparently a fate worse than death. I love the, uh, like, I don't know what, the standards of that time. Like, that's hilarious to me. Yeah, yeah. And then... Right, uh, you in silence. <laughs> I think you've said that before on this show. Yeah, I have a tendency. Well, uh, unless you guys have any other points, uh, we should get into the final summary and review portion here. No, I've gone through my notes. I'm sure Mike could go for a couple more hours, though. Yeah, if we, if we had that kind of time, maybe on a bonus episode. And we actually, in the pre-show, everyone, we were talking about the potential for doing a MSTK3 style where we are actually watching a movie with the audience making commentary as it's happening. And that would be on the Twitch platform, which um, maybe we'll get in place after the new year. So we'll be looking forward to that as a possibility. Yeah, so, that could be really fun. So, um, yeah, Mike, any any final notes before we get into summary review? Or do you want to just kick off summary review and give us a score on this bad boy? Yeah, I don't know. 10 out of 10, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know. Uh, it's there are nine out of 10, I think, because there are a couple things that irk me, um, like the plot contrivance of, of Bailey. But I like if you can move that that rant I said about all those things uh, about the essence of the film just right to this, you know, in post or something, that'd be ideal for me because. I think I said it already, what I like about it. It basically, it's about investment and, and it's about the value that is not necessarily monetary or monet, monetizable that, you know, like people are similar to commodities, but there's a sort of this sort of ether in us that isn't quite the same. So sometimes, um, sometimes it's okay to like not be a hard ass about stuff and just see if that nurturing can help people um, give back eventually. Uh, but I mean, Potter's not wrong. You shouldn't just let people you know, walk all over you or, or, you know, take a loan that they can't pay back and stuff like that. But it doesn't really get too deep into that. So yeah. And man's not poor if he has friends. It's not a bad way to say it. All right. Well done. So nine out of 10 from you, Robert, we'll go to you, sir. Well, this movie is barely a Christmas movie. It's, it's got a couple of scenes that take place on Christmas, but like we said, that's just in the climax of the film. The first over three quarters of it is just George Bailey's life. And it really is just a story about his life strategy and how it pays off for him in the end and 
how yeah, Potter has a different life strategy. I mean, maybe he just doesn't have the charisma. I mean, one of the problems for me, just a little bit that doesn't, it keeps it from being perfect. I mean, there are a couple of different things, but for me, the, the fact that George Bailey is kind of like a, a Gary Stu, like the, the male version of a Mary Sue in that everybody just likes him. I mean, other than Potter, he could yell at people and scream at people and do all kinds of like non nice things, but ultimately everybody likes him. And I could see why. I mean, I liked him, but I don't know. It was almost, it's like that 50s Leave It to Beaver style where everybody knows everybody and everybody talks to everybody and everybody knows everybody else's business. That, and it's the kind of community that's kind of alien to people these days. Like, I don't know my neighbors or what they're doing or what's happening to them, but I guess if we were in the 1950s middle America, I would. Um, but man, this movie just hits you so good. I, it's, it takes its time and it really builds up this attraction and just about these characters and so that when the emotional moments come man they hit me really really hard it's just so good um from a technical standpoint there were a few scenes where i was like what's happening why what are you doing capra um i can remember in the bank scene when the uncle has to like try and put the money in the newspaper and give it to potter and there's like it's like watching a youtube video with those quick cuts because there were like four it's like four times to stitch together all from the same perspective, like they couldn't do the scene in one take. And that happened a couple times in the film. It was just weird. I mean, from a technical standpoint, it's like, what are these actors incapable of doing a single take? I don't know. But uh, man, this is, yeah, this is my favorite. This is my favorite like holiday movie now. This is it's so good. It holds up. It made in 1946. If the movies today took the time to develop characters like this, they'd be so much better. And it's, yeah, it's still not perfect. I mean, I can see it from, you know, the whole socialism, capitalism angle too. And that's, I wish that was a little bit better, but I guess you got to have a villain of some kind. Anyway, it's a, uh, it's gotta be one of my highest rated movies of all time. I don't know if it's a perfect 10, but it's, it's like a 9.2. It's really, really, really freaking good. Wow. Wow. Totally blown away by this. And Robert likes a movie. <laughs> I like lots of movies. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for, for the high praise and the great conversation. And I'm going to echo a lot of your opinions. So like I said at the open, this is probably going to be just three guys agreeing with each other. This is a really good movie. And I think that Jimmy Stewart does have a lot of aw shucks charisma, not only as George Bailey, but in many of his other roles. And I think that's just kind of part of him as an actor. And, and he was very likable. He was in many films and lots of Hitchcock and Westerns and, and other things as well. And I think that he just kind of has that... Uh, that aura about him. And so he was the perfect guy to play this character because you're right. He did do some pretty crazy stuff. He, he yelled at people and he was somewhat violent shaking people and people still liked him. Like they didn't really hold it against him. So, you know, it worked out. Um, I think that the, the lessons are, are pretty good and it does have that Christmas feel. And uh, especially with the snow, which they won a technical Academy award for, because that was not actual snow. They shot the film in the hot, in the heat of the summer. So you can see. Oh, and they just used uh, CGI. No, no, it was actual yeah. um CGI. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Attack of the Clones. Uh I forget <laughs> what, what it was that they used, but it was something that was it was the first time ever it was tried and it, it worked really well and they won an award for it just for the snow effect. Well, that's cool. The same stuff they used in Gremlins? Probably. Probably. Was the Gremlins snow good? I thought it was bad. It, it was, was bad. pretty bad. Yeah, yeah it was pretty bad. bad. Uh I, I haven't listened to that episode. If only yet. Gremlins could have come out after It's a Wonderful Life. I don't know. Yeah, it might have been. It might have been better. I don't. We didn't. We didn't really score Gremlins that, that high. But uh, uh, the guest we had, Rocky, he really liked it. He said it was the most Christmas movie of all time, even more Christmas than Die Hard. And that was 
that was the discussion. No, the, he called it the best Christmas movie of all time. Yeah. Yeah. But Robert, you, you have a new one and, and it's this one. Yeah. So anyway, I'm going to throw a nine down as well. So nine's around 9.2 out of Robert's. Um, 9.16. No, one, 9.6 now. <laughs> no, no, sorry. 9.06, I think, is now the average. Yeah, yeah. We get, you got to get your Canadian calculator, do the proper conversion, get it into Celsius and all that. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, this was a, a really good discussion, and, and I appreciate, uh, Mike, you coming on. You always do bring the heat, and the uh, I try to take a little bit of the um, nuance and take us down a side, side angle there for a little bit, but I knew you'd be game for that. And uh, what else did I want to say about this? Um, that's probably that's probably good for now. So this is episode um, 103 of the Last Night. You can find the show notes more at lastnight.com slash 103. Also support us on Patreon, lastnighter.com slash Patreon. And you can find this on the Launchpad Media. Now, also on Launchpad Media is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket and Raylene Lightheart. Raylene was our guest for The Correcty Kid a few months ago, and we had a great discussion with her. She is very easygoing, easy to talk to. A uh, very good personality on on the mic, and we really had a fun discussion. And we're gonna have her back again next week for a New Year's Eve inspired film, When Harry Met Sally with the great Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan. So that should be a good discussion, I think. I'm looking forward to it. You gotta get Raylene's Steven. awesome. I'm looking Stephane forward to it. Stefan needs. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Who's you saying? Stefan, what? Oh, Stefan Molyneux needs to join you guys for that one and all of his sexual marketplace value rhetoric. Mm. It's oh, quite maybe, harsh. Maybe we will make some some reference to that because doesn't Billy Crystal kind of like harp on that kind of concept? Yeah, no, that's I don't know, I don't know. I think Stefan is very harsh about those ideas. Like these guys, there's not a lot of romance, and there's like I understand that you need to limit romance, but it's not like it's an asymptote. You don't want to get to zero <laughs> romance when you're talking about men and women. But uh yeah, no, I, I, men and women can't be friends, I think, is what Billy Crystal says to her while they're, um, you should probably save this for the. Mm, mm, yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I haven't seen it in a while, so um, it's kind of, that's coming back to me. Yeah, he's. It, it, it was part of my upbringing, so I, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, anyway, um, Robert, as you were saying, Raylene is great, and uh, so that'll be a lot of fun. So join us next week. Uh, and uh, I don't know. Name, I guess, name, name of the show? <laughs> the last nighters and uh, she's on blast off with johnny rocket so that'll be a lot of fun and this is episode 103 of this show and we wish you guys a merry christmas thank you for joining us and we'll see you back for the new year's we'll say good night from last night take care of each other days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, 
interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com.